I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing via iTunes. The show will automatically download to your computer every week, which sounds a little creepy and Big Brother-ish, but just don't think about that part. Think about the fact that you don't have to do a thing. It just happens in the background when you're not looking. Yeah, that's creepy again. Just subscribe. It's easy, really. Visit LiveWireRadio.org for details. Announcements, announcements, announcements. Good morning, Mondale Middle School. This is Vice Principal Ferber, and it's time for announcements. On the cafeteria menu today, a choice of nacho burgers, nacho pizza, or the make-your-own-nacho station. For our students with dietary restrictions through no fault of their own, as well as uh, the vegans, (laughs) the menu is whatever you brought from home. We're feeling our mongoose pride this morning. Congratulations are in order for the debate team, who just won second place in their debate versus Agnew prep. And congratulations to 8th graders Dylan Garcia and Brittany Gunderson on the recent birth of their twins. Uh, That would be Justin and Bieber Garcia Gunderson. Just say no to drugs. If you need a reason, there is an undercover police officer or narc hidden among you. You'll never guess who it is, so don't even try. And before you point a finger at transfer student Troy Merman, I'm told his beard is the result of a glandular condition. (laughs) Reminder, Mondale Middle School is a peanut-free zone. As we all know, McKenna Stevens is allergic, so no one is permitted to enjoy peanut products within 1,000 feet of school grounds. The custodian discovered an unshelled peanut half near the jungle gym Tuesday, so the playground will be off-limits for a few weeks for decontamination. Okay, McKenna. For those of you wondering why area squirrels are being trapped and euthanized, squirrels carry peanuts, and, well, it's because of McKenna and her peanut thing. As we start the year, it's important we're all familiar with safety procedures. There just might be a surprise fire drill around the corner, as well as a biological attack drill, a cyber attack drill, emo teen gunman drill, and a retro Red Dawn-style communist invasion drill. 
The school safety officer will be conducting surprise in-your-face stranger danger role-playing sessions with random students, so watch out. We just want you to feel safe. And finally, be on your best Mondale behavior for today's all-school assembly in the Libra Cafe Gymnatorium. Uh, subject matter covered in the dynamic multimedia presentation includes eating healthy, staying in school, and getting high on math, not meth. <laughs> it's recycling mixed with abstinence wrapped in a free, brightly colored condom. It's... It's... From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, where deadly peanuts aren't much of a problem, but filberts, the nerds of the nut kingdom, can bore a kid to death. It's Livewire! And now it's the host of Livewire, whose career as a narc was cut short when the kids saw her fog hat tattoo in the PE locker room, Courtney Hameister! Welcome to the show, everybody. We are absolutely giddy to be at our new home here at the Alberta Rose Theater in, uh, yeah. We're in the Alberta district of Portland, Oregon, and it's an amazing, vibrant, artistic district. It's, it's a beautiful theater, and we're absolutely overjoyed to be here. And we can't believe the show that we have for you tonight to open up our season in our new home. Uh, Rob Ainsley and the Portland Opera Chorus are here. They're going to perform a piece of their upcoming shows, Pagliacci and Carmina Burana, with members of Body Box. And the hilarious and brilliant Liz Winstead, co-creator of The Daily Show, is joining us again. We're excited about that. And our musical guest tonight was nominated for a Grammy Award at age six. Massive overachiever Bobby Bear Jr. is with us tonight. Before we get to all that, I would love for you to meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater tonight, Mr. Tyler Hughes. <laughs> We've got a fill-in face tonight. The amazing Ted Douglas is with us tonight. Laura Faye Smith. The beautiful siren of sound, Pat Janowski. And as usual, poet Scott Poole, author of The Cheap Seats, will be in our audience. Scott will write feverishly as the show progresses. Then at the end of the show, he will present us with a poem that he has written that encompasses all that we have learned during the course of the night. Welcome, Scott. It's time to get writing. And of course, we couldn't do any of it without the amazing accompaniment of our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thanks, Ralph. That was really dramatic. <laughs> Felt like it might have been the end of an after-school special. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, as I mentioned, Liz Winstead will be on our show later, and she's a person who deals in media issues all the time. And there was something that I saw recently in the media that I'm hoping to possibly talk about with her later. Uh, it was a Vanity Fair poll. And it was about this Mel Gibson issue that we're all familiar with, I think. It happened over the summer. Um, horrible tapes of him berating his wife verbally and actually admitting to hitting her while she was holding their kid. What a charmer. What a charmer. So this recent Vandy Fair poll asked people how much these tapes affected their desire to buy tickets to a Mel Gibson film. And 80% of men and 72% of women said, not at all. 
Really? <laughs> Not at all. Does anybody want to change their answer? Women. Do any of the women want to change their answer? No? So initially this felt like bad news, but then when I thought about it for a while, I'm kind of a Pollyanna. I'm always looking on the sunny side, right, guys? <laughs> I'm not. But, but anyway, I, but, but, but I thought, hey, I'm a person who gets up in front of an audience and attempts to make art for the audience's pleasure, right? I mean, not on the same scale as Mel Gibson, but still. So I thought, if I can just become as famous as him, the, the pressure is completely off, right? Like, my question here is, and for all of us, actually, who, who are creative people... What is this line? We want people to define the line, right, at which you will stop uh, buying tickets. Is it like a throwing puppies into a river thing, or is it like a genocide thing? <laughs> is it going to take genocide? Like, at, at, at what point will people not want to hand Mel Gibson money? Because everyone knows, right, he gets back-end deals on these films, so some portion of your money is actually going into his grubby, misogynistic, anti-Semitic, kind of buttholy hands, right? So I'm just saying, let's, Vanity Fair people, let's think about where our lines are and just get back to me because all of us need to know, actually, there's a bachelorette party I have to attend next month and I need to know whether or not I need to hire the donkey or not. So anyway, we'll figure all that out later. For now, uh, Faces for Radio Theater, take it away. Okay, Kyla, let's take a look at those chompers. Oh, I know you're nervous, but you'll be fine. Even if you do have a cavity, it's not a big deal. We'll take care of it in a jiff. All righty. Well, it does look like you do have a little cavity on your back right molar. If you don't treat me right, I will find someone who will. So he did the right thing, and he paid for the extra peanuts in my peanut buster parfait. No. He did. He is a prince. Hey, how much do you want off the bang? Oh, just a tiny bit. Okay. Anyway, so then we were watching Dog the Bounty Hunter on his condo, right? And, oh, no. What? I think I cut your bangs too short. Honey. Morning. Oh, are you cooking breakfast? You bet. <laughs> You're too good to me. Mmm, coffee? Yes. Brewing. Yay. Oh, but we only had decaf. Christ! Oh, wow. You know, all appearances aside, I'm really not that bothered by it. Me neither. Hold on. Hey! 
What is up with you people? What do you mean? Come here. No, 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 not all of you, just you two. Us? Yes, get over here. You have to stop this. Uh, Stop what? This, the drama. So it's not working for you? Uh, No, it's not working for anyone. Where did you come from, anyway? Well, uh, you remember that Damien guy? The devil's kid? Yeah, yeah, he wore that cute little round cap and the prep school uniform. Of course I do. Yeah, we came with him. Okay, but he's long gone now, so why didn't you go with him? Uh, We missed our bus. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of us, and he was moving really fast because he's, you know, evil and magical and such. So we just figured we could get work in town, but wow, there is just very, very little evil here. Right. Have you seen your police blotter? It really takes the wind out of your sails to sing at a reptile store vandalization, you know. (laughs) So we're just taking it where we can get it. You know, there's a guy on 4th Street who went to prison for a big Ponzi scheme. Yeah, yeah, he moved to Spartanville last winter. Lovely guy, though. Really, really evil. Also, made a mean tater tot casserole. You liked it? You didn't think the peas were too mushy? I think they were canned, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that could have been better, sure. Okay, guys, okay. I see what happened here. And I think I know where you need to go. We'll pool our resources and get you some bus tickets. Oh, that'd be great! You guys want some coffee? Oh, we'd love some. Uh, cool. Oh, all we have is decaf, though. What did I say? Two weeks later. Hello, I'm Andy Cohen, and welcome back to the Real Housewives of New Jersey reunion show. So what you just heard was the 60-person strong Portland Opera Chorus singing a wee portion of O Fortuna from Carmina Burana, a show they'll be performing at the end of this month, along with Pagliacci. Please welcome Portland Opera's associate music director and chorus master Rob Ainsley and co-founder of Bodybox, Ashley Rowland, to the stage. Um, so Ashley has a very large yellow snake with her. It's a beautiful color yellow, really, really sort of eggshelly uh, uh, yellow. And uh, gosh, it, I mean, it looks about the size of what people would see a, a python to be. Yes, but it's a boa constrictor. So it's, it's, yeah, this is actually an albino boa constrictor. Very, very beautiful. Very gentle, very docile. Name named, of Sunshine. Name Sunshine. <laughs> so what role does Sunshine play in the show? Well, you know, she's sort of our lead dancer. Uh, she does a lovely pas de deux uh, early on in the evening, representing obviously temptation, uh, fear, and all sorts of wonderful things like that, wonderful themes like that. And so can you, can you either of you, um, talk about how this show happened, this combination of these two shows, Pagliacci and uh, Carmina Burana? You know, originally, our first conductor put the two pieces together, Pagliacci and Carmina, which don't usually go together. Pagliacci is a complete piece, 
uh, which ends in a tragedy. Um, and what happens is with the direction of Chris Mataliano, we've connected the two operas, or actually uh, the choral piece of Carmina Burana. And so if you come to the production, you'll see uh, the tragedy at the end of Pagliacci, and then you'll see the beginnings of uh, the next part of the tragedy, and it continues through Carmina Burana. And therefore, they have just a huge amount of material, much more than they would in a normal show. Uh-huh. So you're being threatened by the snake at this moment. Uh-huh. Don't worry, she, she doesn't bite. Okay. I have this. <laughs> <laughs> she's really pretty. <laughs> just, she, she's actually mommy. latched onto. She, she gives great hugs. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the snake bite kit that I have on my waistband. She's actually latched herself on it. It's a little hand sanitizer, so if she bites, we're just going to put a little bit in her mouth. She'll be fine. Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> and nice and I knew that. Plain. I mean, I know that. I, I don't know why you don't think I don't know that. Um, <laughs> actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about Carmina Burana is used in so many horror films, but it's actually a rather joyful piece, right? I mean, what are, what are the words saying? Yes, well, I mean, the, the opening chorus, which is the piece that everyone's familiar with, is um, it stands as a bookmark. It's on either end of the, the show. And it's really about fate and the fact that we can't get away from fate. But the whole of the middle section is uh, an extraordinary manuscript that was found in um, it's a 13th century manuscript mit- written by lapsed monks. So um, you can imagine kind of friar tucks who've been kicked out of monasteries for drinking and fornicating far too much. Uh, and they, they wrote these wonderful poems, about 200 collections of secular poems, essentially about drinking uh, and enjoying the springtime and everything that comes with the spring, things blooming and blossoming and getting a little frisky on the village green. So it's, it's quite dirty poetry. I mean, it, it really is. It's, right. it's, it's a very human piece in and, many ways. And are the, so we can actually see the lyrics uh, translated if we come to the show. Yeah, we have super titles at Portland Opera uh, and you get a running translation of everything that's being sung. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it sounds like an amazing show and we so appreciate you bringing the chorus to the show tonight. It was a blast to work with them and, uh, and I've so enjoyed spending time with Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Hope Robin to see you there. with the Portland Opera. You're listening to Livewire Radio with music, conversation, and comedy. We stimulate every part of your brain, including the areas you've put aside specifically for Ario Speedwagon lyrics. <laughs> Coming up, Bobby Bear Jr., Liz Winstead, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Livewire. As I mentioned earlier, our next guest was nominated for a Grammy Award at age six for a duet he sang with his father, Bobby Bear. It was a Shel Silverstein song called Daddy What If. And this year has been a busy one for Bobby Bear Jr. He co-produced a Shel Silverstein tribute album with his father called Twistable Turnable Man, featuring artists like Black Francis of the Pixies, Andrew Bird, and Lucinda Williams. And he just released his own solo record, A Storm, A Tree, My Mother's Head. Please welcome Bobby Bear Jr. Hello. Last night I got busted For acting just like myself While wishing I was Somebody else And everybody knows Just who I am I'm the chewing gum Stuck in your hair And what's making you smile I heard hello Where are you gonna go I'm the only fool you know We found a place Between love and hate Where nothing feels that good And nothing feels that And what's making you smile is making me sad I know it feels good This is gonna be bad For acting just like myself While wishing I was somebody else Bobby Bear Jr.
Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thank you. <laughs> so I read that you actually, you've known, you, you knew Shel Silverstein since you were a very young child, and actually throughout your songwriting history, he really, he critiqued your songs and kind of helped you with songwriting, and when I was listening to this record, I could hear that you had worked with him. There's so much humor and poignancy in, yeah. in the work. What was he like as a, as a, as a critic or as an editor? It, what he would tell me is he'd say, I can't really critique you. I can only tell you what I would do differently. And if I would get lazy, he would say, this, this, you, you shouldn't do this. This is a waste of time. Or, and, uh, and, and, but he was, just, he was just being a really great mentor. And, mm-hmm. You know, just being a cheerleader sometimes if I wrote something good. It was a really nice thing of him to do. And did he, was he continuing to, to write songs throughout your, uh, as you were well, that, older, I, It was only like the last 10 years when he was alive that he was, that I was writing songs that I would let other people hear. I wrote really bad songs for a really long time. <laughs> and now some of them are presentable. <laughs> what was, what was it that made you finally able to show it to somebody? Uh, well, I, I just knew they weren't bad. You know, it's still scary. Mm-hmm. It's still, you know, like showing somebody your new tattoo. You, know. <laughs> you want to look at It's misspelled. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, and you recently, with your father, co-produced this amazing tribute album for Shel Silverstein. It was pretty much whoever I had on speed dial and whoever my dad had on speed dial. And your so, father is Bobby Bear Sr., and he's, he's, a, he's like an old-school country singer. He's, he's the old guy who sleeps with my mother. <laughs> right. Well, what was it like? I mean, you, you did. You had, you had people like the Pixies on this record that I'm sure your dad hadn't heard about. Actually, a year ago at Music Fest Northwest, I got to open up for Black Francis, and I, I told them, I'm doing a Shel Silverstein tribute Would would you like to do... Have you ever been on the cover of the Rolling Stone? He said, no, I haven't. I go, would you like to do this song? And he said, I'd be And Shel Silverstein actually wrote that song, which yeah. I didn't realize. He also wrote A Boy Named Sue, which I didn't realize. Yes, he did. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And he wrote the unicorn song. I don't Green know. Green alligators and long neck. <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what was it like in the studio with Black Francis singing a Shel Silverstein song? I'm in a Pixies tribute band. At, on like on the side, like five or so. I'm like, I'm a really big fan of yours. <laughs> and you just sang that line wrong. You need to do it over. <laughs> it, was like, it was very odd, but very mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about the title song to this record, "A yes. Storm, a Tree, My Mother's Head." Yes. There's a, there's a story behind this song. Yes, my mom was sitting on the couch in Nashville during a storm. And a tree fell through the roof, through the ceiling, and directly on top of her and pretty much split the house in two. It cracked two vertebrae in her neck. She crawled out of underneath the debris. Because it's not just this huge ancient tree. It's the ceiling, the insulation, the two-by-fours. She was all alone. And she's fine now, and you can hear her screaming on the recording you can hear she was nice she's over enough but but yeah. come to find out the most dangerous place for somebody's mom happens to be on a couch so if any of you out there have a mom who might be on a couch somewhere i encourage you to call her immediately and say get off the couch no really where are you 
She's as lucky that she survived it as she is unlucky that it fell exactly on top yeah. of her. But the arms of the couch, I think, saved her. Um, well, you are actually going to come back and sing one more song for us later in the show. Is that right? Please, sure. please totally. do so. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Bobby Bear Jr. Everybody. <laughs> for more information about Bobby Bear Jr. and his record, visit BobbyBearJr.com. You're listening to Livewire Radio, and if you love the show, you'll really love our podcast. Visit iTunes today and subscribe. What that means is that the podcast will automatically download to your hard drive without you having to do a thing. It's just like inviting the whole cast of the show to your house for pizza, except there's a lot less beer cans strewn about. (laughs) Believe me, and no one will leave a hole in your wall over a ridiculous argument over an apples-to-apples game, Laura. Hey, you know what? Dolly Parton is way more unhealthy than bonbons. I was wrong. Okay, all right. Let it go, Laura. And you, download our podcast to avoid that. If there's news to tell, we will tell it so hard. This is Rich from the Headlines. A woman who fell in love with a cobra snake in June of 2005 has married the reptile in a ceremony attended by over 2,000 guests. The villagers of Adala, India, welcomed the wedding in the belief that the union would bring good fortune and laid out a feast for the big day. And now, hold on to a person or a chair as the writ from the headlines players perform this as a play. Go! Picked up in Act 1, Scene 5, the woman and Cobra are alone in their split-level 1950s ranch-style home. The woman speaks. Alone at last. What do you want to do? Oh, you naughty. I mean, besides that. Do you want to scare the village while I run after you screaming? It's okay. He's my husband. Mango Lassie? Would you like to play Boggle? Boggle it is, your cobra husband. The woman goes to get Boggle. The cobra bites her and she dies. (laughs) A spotlight shrinks to the cobra as he delivers his speech. Who am I? I have become a monster. A sacred cow is rolled onto the stage, adorned with a garland of red, orange, and saffron flowers, and a jaunty bowler. Cobra continues... Help me. Help me fight who I am. I killed my wife. And for what? For the thrill? I think not, sacred cow. I am a simple cobra. Why must I bite and kill everyone I see? Is it because I am deadly And that I love to bite and bite and bite The cobra suddenly bites the sacred cow and it dies The cobra raises his head to the skies and screams I must be stopped! The cobra coils up in defeat which looks a lot like just regular coiling up. (laughs) And it cries its poison tears. 
As dramatic as that all sounded, it appears to not be in any way true. After some very cursory research, it was revealed that the Cobra and the woman, a Mrs. Amir T. Cobra, are still living in the 1950s split-level ranch home and are very happy. In the face of happiness, in the face of tragedy, we will tell you the news so hard. This has been ripped Ripped from the headlines. Good night. You're listening to Livewire Radio. Variety is our middle name. Actually, it's Sheldon, but (laughs) hello, embarrassing. (laughs) It's like, whatever mom and dad, Sheldon, it's lame. Anywho, if you live in Portland, come to our next live show at the Alberta Rose Theater with Tom Bissell, author of Extra Lives, Why Video Games Matter, David Oliver Rellin, author of New York Times bestseller Three Cups of Tea, Burgerville CEO Jeff Harvey, and musical guest Moondoggies. For more information, visit our website at livewireradio.org. Is it accurate to say that our next guest changed the face of political satire in America forever when she co-created The Daily Show? Pretty much. I think so. And not to keep tooting her horn unnecessarily, but she was also the brains behind bringing Rachel Maddow to the airwaves on Air America, and she rules. But she doesn't just start awesome shows. She's also one of the country's smartest satirists and has appeared as a stand-up comic on HBO, Comedy Central, and the Aspen Comedy Festival, among squillions of other places. Here with a piece from her current touring show, please welcome Liz Winstead to Livewire. Say it loud. Um, okay, so I do these touring shows, and what I do is I write up to the minute. And so um, I usually have this crazy uh, sort of uh, fake teleprompter kind of thing going on where I just have music stands with notes, and I write. So I had to bring my phone because I thought it was... I wrote my notes for what I wanted to do tonight as I was leaving, and I thought maybe we all just wanted to know a little bit about our friend in Florida... Whose name I won't say. I refer to him as Yosemite Scam (laughs) or the Caranti Christ. You pick. (laughs) I just feel really confused about how he got here. He has 50 parishioners. (laughs) Most people have more followers on Twitter. And yet he has reeled in the media's attention with this craziness, and the media didn't really look into who he was. The, the main thing you need to know is, is that he was kicked out of Germany for being too racist. <laughs> He's very worried about Sharia law taking over our country. He's also very worried about the gays taking over our country. I don't know how many gays are going to take over our country and then impose Sharia law. (laughs) We're going to fight for the right to get married so we can be stoned in the town square on the same day. (laughs) Don't you understand? That's the gay agenda. (laughs) 
But we all waited, just waited and waited for him. We waited for him to, will he? Will he do it? Won't he do it? He's going to do it in the future. We don't, he's like the Brett Favre of hateful racists. <laughs> Very upset about the mosque. He said he was going to meet with the imam in New York. I wish the imam in New York would meet with him and say, yes, we plan on moving the mosque to Florida. <laughs> Actually, I, don't, I am so for the... I live across the street from his, an Islamic center now. I live in Brooklyn. In fact, I live across the street from like six Islamic centers because that's what New York is. If you live in New York, you understand that two-thirds of the cabs in New York are Islamic centers. <laughs> like, get a grip. And these people go protest down at the Islamic Center, not realizing that they have to pass like six mosques to get to the mosque they don't want built. <sighs> Sometimes people are dumb. Sometimes they think we should just print the Constitution on McDonald's bags so people would actually read it, see it. this just level of crazy uh, uh, phobic uh, Islamophobia and just brown people are just scaring white people in general in this country, but there's no racism in the Tea Party, so that's good. Because <laughs> Sarah Palin said there wasn't. By the way, has anyone ever tried just pouring water on her to see if maybe that would make her go away? I don't know. Just, I, I don't know. We need to just take a step back for a second and try some rudimentary things before we continue. <laughs> yeah. Um, because she doesn't see racism. Neither does Sean Hannity in the Tea Party. Sean Hannity sees no racism. And I can, the only reason I can see that you wouldn't see racism in the Tea Party is because the signs are spelled so badly you might not recognize the word. <laughs> you know, Barack Obama is a Muslim. Hmm. I thought he was more of a poly blend. <laughs> and with that, I think I'll take my seat next to my friend over here. <laughs> Thank you. Liz Winstead. I wanted to go way back. Oh, we're going in the way back machine. That yeah. never can be good. Well, I just, I read that you um, actually came from a really conservative Catholic home. Yes. And what happened to you? <laughs> My God. I got pregnant. <laughs> oh, that'll do it. Yeah, that happens. Well, but you were a rebel from the very beginning. I mean, I read that you actually uh, petitioned to be an altar boy. I did. I did. Because back way in the way back machine, because I'm 180, um, there was a time when girls weren't allowed to be servers. And I am, ever since I was a little girl, I just did not have little girl fantasies. I wasn't like, I want to play with trucks. But, like, I didn't like babies, really, ever. Or I thought dolls were a joke toy. Like, wait, this toy pees and I change it, and we're done. Right. And that's a toy. Here's the little oven, and that's a toy. It was all a big ripoff. So... <laughs> I, I just was like, this it's is, true. They're just asking you to work. Start yeah, working just now. Start working. Isn't this fun? Right. Hey, it's a good color. <laughs> Look, it's an orange oven. No, it's still work. I'm not an idiot. I might be six, but don't think I'm stupid. 
I got older, I didn't really develop a love of babies anymore. And um, the only income that you could generate was babysitting as a little girl, which I thought I'd be bad at this. And turns out I was. Uh, I found it a, a nice little uh, place to make out and steal booze. Uh, look at this. No adults are here. Guys can come over and there's booze. This is awesome. Maybe I like babysitting. Um, so maybe babysitting quit me. Yeah, that, that's, that sounds like a way to kind of move over to the yeah, dark side. Yeah, you know, but I didn't realize it about myself. And so I thought, God, my friends, these guys were serving masses and funerals and making tips. More money than I was babysitting. So I thought, awesomeness. I'm just going to, nobody thought to go ask the priest, right? So I'm just going to go in there and say, I would love to be an altar person. I think it would be awesome. So I go to the priest and I say, I would like to be an altar, I think I said altar boy, and he said, he was kind of like, well, you can't be an altar boy. And I thought, well, why? And he said, well, well because you're a girl. And it's called altar boy. That's what he pulled out of his ass. So I was like, you know, I, I just thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's no, like, you don't have to, you know, carry an anvil or something. Right. You know, to be an altar boy. That wine was pretty light, and the wafers. Like, what do you do? You put on a gown and a, the boy burka, and you just stand on with the priest, and that's what you're doing. Like, I could do all of those things. That outfit was not form-fitting. Like, the whole thing just seemed like the <laughs> dumbest thing ever. And that's, like, adults were always just trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Always. It was like, that's the dumbest. I'm, again, I'm six. I'm not an idiot. Like, you've got to give me a better reason. Like, when girls touch this wine, they turn to dust or something. <laughs> Some magical Catholic thing I probably would have believed until right. I was at least 15. But you did start really early. That's the thing. It's like, you, you started really early doing essentially what you're doing now. I like, did. what was it about you when, you're, when you were six years old that was so different about these other you know, little six-year-old girls? I think it was simply that the things I enjoyed, like, I loved, I taught myself gymnastics. Like, I watched Olga Corbett, and I taught myself to do that thing on the bounce beam where she, my sister's here, she can attest to this. My dad made me a bounce beam, and I taught myself to go on the bounce beam and bring my legs straight over my head because it looked awesome. (laughs) And what I couldn't figure out was why the stuff that I wanted to do that just seemed fun and interesting and might make me fun to be around was just not available to me. Like, I couldn't understand it. It didn't make any sense. And every time it was no, if you didn't give me a good reason, I was plowing ahead. And my mother was horrified because I petitioned the archdiocese. I probably got 20 people to sign a petition. And she keeps, she was like, well, do you have to do that? And I was like, I have to. You won't let me be a letter or a a newspaper. She wouldn't let me deliver papers in the morning because it was too dark. And there was always, you know, flashers or whatever was happening back then that we called them flashers. They're called rapists now, by the way. It was like hobos. Remember your parents would dress you up as a hobo for Halloween? Can you imagine dressing up your kid as a homeless person for Halloween? My mom dressed me up as a Chinese person for Halloween one year. Yes? Yes! We're from Minnesota. There wasn't any. So there was no one to offend. There was no one to offend. The Lutherans? That's who we would offend, you know. The multiculturalism was like the Finns and the Swedes and the Germans and, you know. It's why you can write any sketch about Amish people and put it on TV. That's exactly right, because they do not believe in cable. (laughs) Now, now, (laughs) 
No, your your mother still has the same belief system that that she had oh my God, when you were a kid. Worse. Honey, it has gotten how worse. How do you, how do you guys navigate that relationship? She as she's gotten older, she's always been conservative. Um, but now she only watches she's 88, half deaf and watches Fox News. So she gets half of half of the truth, right? <laughs> angry because I've always wondered why is it that Fox News can lure in the elderly and I've realized because it's the loudest network. That's probably true. And has the biggest graphics. It's like I don't know I can hear it so therefore it's going to be my truth because I heard it so it is my truth. So she's got not only has she gotten conservative she's gotten tons more bitter. Oh sure well that happens to to everyone as we age. This is like insanity. Mm-hmm. Like, she's always never understood my reason for not having children. It's always been this point of her, and she calls up my sisters, and she says, Liz is going to wake up one day and feel unhappy and miserable, and I don't know what to do. So the last time I was home, she said, I just don't understand your decision. And I said, Mom, do you, I'm happy. What is it that you don't understand about my decision? And she said, I think you should breed something other than contempt. <laughs> It's 88, a, it's a good line. It's a really like, good line. Yeah, it's also a good amount of therapy. Like, I'm not made of money here. You know, it's like she will live on until that one shred of self-esteem that I have is destroyed. Then she will go out <laughs> happy, float up into the heavens. Well, I think, um, I think that in, like, in these, in, they, they always talk about in interpersonal relationships, using humor to, to diffuse conflict, yes. right? To um, pretend you're okay, you mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I think like there was a, there was an article about about uh, Al Franken in the Washington Post talking about when he very first came in he was very serious and didn't want to use his sense of humor right and it really was a disservice to him he yeah. was having a lot of problems and he was getting complaints from both sides of the aisle and then he started actually using his sense of humor I mean do you think that you can use a sense of humor in political conflict in the same way yes. as in personal conflict? I, in the, here's why I, where I think you can. It's very interesting. I'm on Twitter constantly. It's a problem because I'm writing a book. So why write the book when you can do something for free? Um, and when I have these trolls who disagree with me, come on, I will joke with them. And then they laugh. And then they're like, oh, you're funny and you're not like what I expected you to be. And I was like, exactly. Because the second you share humor with someone there, you cannot deny that there is a camaraderie and a bond. And if, and that is, it's disarming to both people, but it's also true. Do you know who Cal Thomas is the writer? He's this conservative writer. Everything he says, I just want to basically vomit in my shoes, (laughs) but I would did a show with him on Fox and we sang show tunes the entire time in the back room (laughs) and then got out there and I was like, you really are a raging ass burger um, and then we went back to singing show tunes afterwards so I do think that through humor and I just think all the time too I think the biggest part of my political philosophy is I so mistrust people who, who have a definitive answer because no one has definitive answers and people who ask questions and are open to suggestion are the people who I want to listen to if you go on one network that's only their ideology write them off, done, goodbye you know, I just hate that. And so through humor, I often will phrase things like, well, wow, that's kind of weird. You're kicked out of Germany there for being too racist. Maybe you shouldn't be here so much preaching. You know, maybe right. we shouldn't be listening to you. Yeah. Because only 50 people are and, and the entire <laughs> media. Right, in the entire country. 50 people and the entire corporate media. <laughs> right on. 
God bless America. Um, so I read in Paul Provenza's book, Satiristas, uh, he did an interview with you, and you had this great theory about why you were glad that you weren't a lesbian. The way that you had framed it was kind of everyone's a jerk. You know, oh. you sort of, re- it was when you were talking about Air America yeah. and how you realized, oh my God. Oh yeah, progressives even can progressive screw you over. people. Exactly. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> that you were getting pressure from people, that you thought that you would start this, this station and be able to say whatever you wanted. Yes, it was fascinating. and then sadly there was people with a lot of money who said, we're trying to get John Kerry elected here. And I was like, I'm trying to expose the hypocrisy here. Wow. We're doing two different things. And although I would like it if John Kerry was elected, certainly, I would also like John Kerry to listen to this voice of people who were going to vote for him to step up, uh, you know, just like Barack Obama or anyone. I just don't think that you are exempt because you may be of a stripe that I believe in. If you're going to screw up, man, that's my whole philosophy on pretty much everything is that, like, if somebody has given you the gift of power... The second you abuse it, then you, uh, you are on my radar and you are my target. Bottom line, that's just the way it yeah. goes. Yeah. Well, it was a good line. Well, um, we're so glad that you joined us. Well, it was I'm so, so honored great you that you came me back. On your opening show, you guys are amazing. <laughs> I love the show. And by the way, hilarious. The first sketch was hilarious, and then the choir was a thing of beauty. <laughs> thank so, you. Thank you. For thank you so me. much. Thanks. That's huge praise. Thank you, Liz Winstead, everybody. You're listening to Live Wire Radio with music, conversation, and comedy. We're like an entertainment variety pack, but without any of the crappy flavors everyone leaves for last. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Bobby Bear Jr. Thank you. This song is also on my new record, A Storm a Tree, My Mother's Head. <laughs> Just 
Slash walks in with an overweight Madonna, orders two Bud Lights and a cranberry vodka. Marilyn Monroe dances dirty with Darth Vader. James Dean holds hands with a Sharon impersonator. Italy, Georgia. Italy, Georgia. Rock and roll, Halloween. Italy, Georgia. Italy, Georgia. Rock and roll. Drinking with the Dixit chicks from Nashville, Tennessee. The fat one is flirting with me. Ed scissor hands gets angry while wrestling the cigarette machine. Italy, Georgia. Italy, Georgia. Rock. Please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I've learned tonight by Scott Poole. (laughs) 
I learned tonight that I have an announcement. No, I don't have a peanut allergy. No, I don't need to euthanize squirrels to live. I just have a small announcement, a squeaky junior high speaker kind of announcement. I want to join a chorus that sings apocalyptic music. (laughs) Yes, it's true. The only problem is that I sing like, like, well, you know those beautiful beluga caviar whales, the ones with the smiles on their white slick faces that seem so intelligent. You know how they squeak with delight and make absolutely no sense? Well, it's just a little worse than that. So I joined one of those really large choirs that sings Carmina Baranda like the Portland Opera Chorus. You know, the ones that scream like all the demons from the depths of hell are flying from the center of earth, dragging columns of black, curly, sparkly brimstone like all the unicorns and care bears in the universe are on fire at once, you know? (laughs) I decided I'll just whisper with a lot of expressiveness... Let me tell you, it's not easy to exhibit exotic and dramatic facial expressions so people don't know you're not really singing. (laughs) We will not accept an out-of-tune note. Yes, sensei! Sing him into a body bag, Johnny! (laughs) And since I knew no one could hear me, I'd freestyle on the words in sort of a Bobby Baird Jr. from Nashville, Tennessee, bluesy, beautiful lament kind of way. I'm sitting on a couch with someone's mom Reading a book And a tree suddenly falls on me And a bully is pointing at me And laughing at me And throwing his gum at me A very impotent showing of power And I'd cry out, I'd cry out Don't throw your gum at me It's not sanitary Don't throw your gum at me Reading is a nice hobby. Don't throw your gum at me. It's not necessarily sanitary. Do you have a saw? But I'm afraid I won't be noticed just whispering. So as Liz Liz Winstead suggests, I will take a page from the Florida D-bag, I mean pastor. So while the choir is singing full bore, I will threaten to burn a copy of Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon stories <laughs> if Livewire isn't given national syndication. I swear I will if the president or the Pentagon doesn't call me. <laughs> that might get me some attention. It's just crazy enough to work. Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. Thanks so much for coming out. Our thanks to our guests tonight, Rob Ainsley, Ashley Rowland, Liz Winstead, and Bobby Bear Jr., and the entire Portland Opera Chorus. The Mutton Chops were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Fitch & Associates, The Falcon Art Community, Willamette Week, and Buchanan, Angeli, Altschul, and Sullivan. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brunberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeff Simmons. Special thanks to the Rose City Sound. The Faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath. 
and performers Laura Faye Smith, Ted Douglas, and Siren of Sound Pachinowski. Livewire's house poet is Scott Poole. This show's guest writer was the fabulous Jordy Barnes. Production management and lighting by Drew Flint. Theme by Courtney Mondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Old Wives Tales. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. Big thanks this show go to Joe Cauley, Adam East, and the entire staff at the Alberta Rose Theater. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes with a couple of retractions from last week's credits. Turns out neither Nipsey Russell nor Swedish supergroup ABBA had anything to do with last week's show. My bad. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.